Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is November the 1st, and our chapter for today is Colossians chapter 2. Now, we are going to get right into the text because we've already set the stage that Paul is writing against Gnosticism, mysticism. That is the belief that a certain amount of knowledge is given to only a few. And if you don't have that knowledge, you can't know the Lord in his fullness and that uh, mysticism and Gnosticism mixed together, that Jesus is not God. He is just one of a created order of angelic beings. The Bible says in Colossians 1, again, that he is the firstborn. That means he is the top of the rank. He is clearly delineated in chapter 1 and in John chapter 1 as the creator of everything. And not only was everything created by him, but for him. That is, he is the head of everything. And Paul gets right into that in chapter 2. For I want you to know what a great conflict, what uh, struggle I have for you, that is, the people at Colossae and those in Laodicea. It could be that this is the original destination of what we call the book of Ephesians. We do not have a letter to Laodicea, but we do have one that we know was a cyclical letter sent to all the churches to be handed around so that everyone could find the great truths that are in the book of what we call Ephesians. For as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all the riches and full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Messiah, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In other words, you don't have to have any secret knowledge any special knowledge outside of who God is. And that is found in the person of Jesus. The way we know the Father, the great spirit that Jesus said, God is spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth in the book of John chapter four. Well, how can we see a spirit? He told Nicodemus in John chapter three, you cannot see the spirit. You can see the results of the spirit, just like you cannot see the wind. You just see the rustling of the leaves and the result of the wind. So it is with God, unless he manifests himself, which he did in the person of Jesus. Verse 4, now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words, with arguments about all of these emanations and how you know God. You know God in the person of Jesus. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, Paul said, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. A remarkable verse in in verses 6 and 7, if you have not ever underlined these, you must, you must highlight them. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus, Messiah Jesus, he is Lord, so walk in him. You need to be rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. 
Let's look at those verses. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How did you receive him? Did you receive him by some special knowledge, or did you receive him by the Spirit of God taking the words of the Bible and make them live in your heart? You see, the Word of God is what bears faith in us. It is what God uses to create faith within us. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, by the rhema of God, R-H-E-M-A. It is a prophetic utterance that lives for a specific time, a specific place, for a specific person. It's not logos. It's rhema. That's what Romans chapter 10 says, for faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It is when we hear the word of God, whether it's preached, read, taught, and we hear it, God bears within us. He births a a saving faith, and that is the grace of God. That is all by his mercy and his kindness and his generosity. He allows us to know him. And so he says, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus, how did you receive him? You received him by faith. How is it that you walk in him? By faith. You're not perfected through good works. That's not how you were saved. No. What you do is you are saved. You walk in the same way you were saved. How were you saved? You heard the word of God. You obeyed it. You heard the word of God. You received it. You heard the word of God and you walked in it. That's how you were saved. You accepted it as truth from God's mouth. You see, the word of God is out of the mouth of God. The Bible is God's revelation, the Tanakh, the law, the prophets, and the writings. Well, what about the New Testament? Of course, that's what the Bible talks about when Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would bring all things to remembrance that the disciples had been taught by Jesus. And as a matter of fact, the apostle Peter in Second Peter says that the apostle Paul wrote down scripture. And so you take what the apostles wrote and what Paul, who is a special apostle, a special assignment to the Gentiles, that's all of the New Testament. You see, the reality is that the word of God is what we hear. It births faith in us. And all of that is by God's grace, nothing we deserve. And it is through that that we are saved. When we hear the Word of God, we act upon the Word of God, and that is how we show that indeed we have trusted God's Word is when we act on it. You can intellectually receive something all you want to, but you've got to act on it. And this is why he talks about being buried with him in baptism and being raised to walk in this new kind of life like Paul talked about to the Romans. And so let's read through here and see what he says. He says that we need to receive all that God has for us, walk in it with all thanksgiving. That's the way we're established in the faith. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Now listen to this. You don't need someone to give you some knowledge outside of the Scripture to help you to understand the Scriptures. You see, the Bible speaks for itself. And you say, well, you teach all kinds of things that we don't know that's not in the Bible. Well, 
Again, the Bible assumes that everyone that is reading this and everyone who is listening to it, that the people to whom it was written understood the language. They understood the history. They understood the geography. They understood the cultural context of that day. We don't. What I do is help people to try to understand those things, the language, the history, the geography, the cultural context. That's just part of life itself. What I'm talking about is something that you have to have some kind of special knowledge in order to know God and to walk with God. That's not true because the Bible teaches it. And when we understand the Bible and its historical, linguistic, cultural context, then we can understand how the Bible was written because it was written in a cultural context. It was written in a language. It was written at a time in history. It was written at a certain place, a geography, a locale, a location. And so we have to understand that. But that's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about some mystical something that you have to have in order to have your knowledge of Jesus complete. And that's not what it says. It says, for in him, verse 9, in the Messiah, in Jesus, lives, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That means that Father, Holy Spirit, Son are manifest in the person of Jesus. He is the image of God himself. And this is taught throughout. And you are complete in him. You don't need to add baptism, circumcision, anything to be complete in Jesus. Those are areas of obedience, the circumcision for the Jews, but that does not make them to be saved or not saved, forgiven or not forgiven. Those are outward signs of performance that something is and has happened inside of them and who they belong to. The scripture says in verse 11, in him, you were also circumcised. That is, we have a spiritual circumcision, the circumcision not made with hands. It's made without hands. And that is the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by circumcision of Christ himself. The Lord took away that old stinking, rotting flesh that had held us for years and and had dominated us. We were buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through trusting in the working of God who raised him from the dead and you being dead in your trespasses and sin and uncircumcision of your flesh. He has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all of your trespasses. And look at this. Not only has he forgiven us of our trespasses, he's wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and has taken it out of the way. What out of the way? That handwriting that was against us, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. In what? In his resurrection. You see, when you read those verses, you have to understand the imagery, again, of the context in which it was written. Paul was in a prison cell. He was in prison. And if you went into prison for a debt that you could not pay, if you owed somebody something and you could not pay it, they put you in a prison cell and they tacked on the outside of your door, written on parchment or papyrus, written on uh, sheepskin, whatever it was, vellum. They would put, for instance, on sheepskin or on papyrus, they would put all of the things that you owed. Now, that was out there until that was paid. 
Well, if you're in prison, you're in trouble because you can't pay the debt. But here's what Jesus did. Jesus came along and he forgave us of our sins. And remember, during the days of the Apostle Paul, many times they wrote with ink that was non-acidic. It was vegetable in its orientation and its makeup. And they would write on something, but then someone could come and they could take a solution and wipe that ink off because it didn't have enough acid to bite down into that sheepskin, that vellum, into that parchment. And so it could just be wiped off. It could be like a white eraser board. It'd just be wiped off because it didn't bite down into the board. It didn't bite down into what it was written on. And so this is what it says that Jesus did. He came and he wiped out the handwriting that was against us. He just cleaned it up. He destroyed it. But then he says that wasn't all that he did. He took down that vellum that was tacked on the cell door, our cell door. He not only wiped off the debt, but he took what was the instrument of writing against us and he nailed that to the cross. What that means is he took that sheepskin down and he took it to the cross and he nailed it to the cross so that no one could ever write anything against us again. You see, the reality is Jesus not only has forgiven us our sins, but there is right now no judgment, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You say, well, wait, I did this, I did that. It's paid for. And if you're in Jesus, that position is forever. It's maintained by God himself. Now, your fellowship, you may be out of fellowship with God, and you may need to be cleansed from your sin and the defilement of sin, but that doesn't mean you're any less a child of God. When you stand before God, you are forgiven, and the righteousness of Jesus is put on your account. If there's anything that's against you, Jesus has already paid for that. And when the accuser says, as in 1 John chapter 2, he stands up and he says, the adversary, the accuser, and starts accusing us, we have a defense attorney, we have an advocate, we have an apologist who stands up and says, I paid for that sin. And who is that? That's Jesus, the righteous one. That's exactly what 1 John chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3 say, that we have an advocate with the Father when the accuser comes. When we sin, we're going to sin. When we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Who is it? It's Jesus, the righteous one who never sinned. He stands up and says, I object. I paid for that, and I took the instrument that Satan wanted to write all the accusations against you, and I nailed it to the cross. So if Satan's going to write anything against you, he's got to go to the cross and take it out of my hand because Jesus once and for all nailed that to his cross. That's what that's saying. And when he did that, he disarmed the principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, and he had victory over them. So he said, let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are the shadows of things to come. Are they important? Of course. But the substance is Jesus. People often accuse me of trying to make Gentiles Jews. I'm not trying to make Gentiles Jews. We're a Gentile, and if you're a Gentile, that's who you are. That's who God made you. You're not part of the Jewish people. You don't need to be jealous of the Jews. What you need to do is understand that they have a place in the economy of God. They are God's chosen people, and he has chosen them. They will forever be his chosen people, but you and I are chosen as well, and we have a purpose, Jew and Gentile together, 
and that is to bring glory and honor to the person of Jesus and to bring people to him, to be a light and to be salt to the earth, to shine in this crooked and perverse generation. We are to be witnesses of the grace of God and to be a light because You see, no man can judge me and say, well, you didn't keep this day, so therefore you're not holy. You didn't keep that day, so therefore you're not holy. You didn't observe the new moon celebration. You didn't. We're not saved by doing those things. All of those things were pointing unto Jesus who does save us. Now, do we need to observe those things, and can we learn from them? Of course. That's what I do. That's what I teach. And it helps us to understand who Jesus is and what he has done for us. You see, all of the Bible is to help us to understand who God is, and not only who he is, but what he has done for us, what he has accomplished on our behalf. Because it's all about him. It's not about us. He simply says, let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen. That is the person who's telling you all these things you need to do. They're vainly pumped up. That is, they're full of themselves by a fleshly mind, not holding fast to the head. That's Jesus from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and the doctrines of men. These things, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, neglect of the body, but are no value against the indulgence of the flesh. In other words, they're never going to help you to overcome anything. Because if you're trusting in some ritual to set you free, if you're trusting in some day to set you free, some new moon month to set you free, all of those things are there to point us to Jesus. They're not Jesus. They're there to point us to Jesus. Jesus is not Torah. Torah is the instruction that gets us to Jesus. The Torah is not God. Jesus is God, but the Torah points us to how to know him, how to recognize who he is. It instructs us in obedience to God to help us to understand our own sin and that only by the grace of God can our sin be forgiven in Messiah. We're on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.